AARP Indiana, an information resource for Hoosiers about the CARE Act, providing support for caregivers when their loved one enters and leaves the hospital. More at action.aarp.org slash card. Will the governor sign a bill to restrict abortion, the campaign pledge he made four years ago? Notre Dame loses a court ruling, the bill now on the governor's desk that could reverse it. What's next for Freedom Indiana? A voter registration spike in Hamilton County, winners and losers in the General Assembly, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 18, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, a group of self-described feminists protested at the Statehouse. They want the governor to veto a bill that creates new restrictions on abortion. Last week, Governor Mike Pence said he will give careful and thoughtful consideration to the bill, but even before he was elected, he promised to sign any pro-life legislation that lands on his desk. That didn't stop this group of protesters from delivering petitions bearing 2,700 signatures to the governor's office. Protester Abigail McKinney. This is not a measure to protect women. This is not a measure to protect health care. It is absolutely another barrier between women and their access to abortion. Let me be very clear on this. I'm, I'm pro-life. Uh, if the legislature sends me pro-life legislation, uh, I'll sign it. But the cost. And that's what the governor said as a candidate in August of 2012. Is there any doubt the governor will sign the abortion bill? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat John Zodi, Republican Robert Vane, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Schellen. John Zodi, was that protest in vain? Uh, well, I don't think there's any doubt that the governor will sign this, and that clip you showed tells us everything we need to know, to know about Mike Pence. He's so careful and uh, timid to, to say what he thinks about any piece of legislation. And here, almost four years ago, he's saying, I will sign any piece of pro-life legislation. This is a dangerous piece of legislation that puts the health and safety of women uh, and families it, across the state in jeopardy, and it was pushed because of politics. The, the authors of this bill, the sponsors, both have tough primaries that they're trying to get through, and they needed a piece of legislation that was going to help them politically, and that's all this is about. And I think leadership in both the House and Senate maybe was using this to try to endear themselves to the right wing after having problems with civil rights issues. Does that make sense? Well, the Republican Party is a pro-life party. Mike Pence is pro-life governor, pro-life elected official. I haven't seen anything that said he will specifically sign this legislation, but your, your clip from four years ago notwithstanding. I did a little research on this subject in terms of surveys and polls the last few years. Uh, the four or five polls I looked at 
average 75 to 85% of people support a ban on abortions for the purpose of sex selection. It's not an extremist position. That's one element of a very big bill here. Well, and I understand that, but the idea that the entire bill is some sort of out of whole cloth and has no basis of support, I don't think is accurate. This bill, the, what I was saying about putting at risk the health of families, when you go into your doctor, one parent, both parents are asked questions about, you wanna have certain testing done, you wanna have this done. We, we, there's a difference between being pro-life and pro-birth. If, if a woman gives birth to a baby who we know could be, uh, his health could be compromised and could pass away in a very short period of time, what is, what is the state gonna do for you? Who's, who's gonna pay for those medical bills? Who's gonna, who's gonna make sure that the child has a dignified life or whatever life that is? This is, this is dangerous. We're talking about miscarriages and abortion here, and they're very different things. We're still dealing with the, the life of a child, but the governor said out of hand, his ideology is gonna trump all of that. I don't think he said that specifically, but we chose not to have the test done because we didn't want to know. If I was a child with Down syndrome, I would want to be born. Uh, this is, in the realm of abortion legislation nationally, this is fairly extreme legislation. Well, the experts who follow these things, Guttmacher Institute and others, say this would make Indiana the second most restrictive state in the country behind, I believe, North Dakota. So uh, I think it would add uh, new constraints. I think people, uh, even among those lawmakers who voted for it, acknowledged that it will be subjected to a court challenge. And Brian Bosma told me on Indiana Lawmakers a few weeks back that he wouldn't be surprised if it were actually deemed to be unconstitutional. Yeah, he, he voted for it. But he did vote for it, which mm -hmm. is unusual. And, and there were a lot of tensions on this bill. I mean, let's stick with the merits. There but were There were five, five Republican pro-life women who got up but, to testify. But keep, in mind, keep in mind why that was, though. I think that uh, this same legislation or similar legislation had been blocked in the House last year, and it was looking as if it would happen again this year when, in fact, against... Uh, rules and protocol adopted by the legislature, it was subbed into another bill. And that is what actually caused a number of the female legislators who had supported restrictions in the well, past to get up. But you're right, Jim. They were upset it, about the process, but they're also upset about the product. You, you're, you're right. But it, you're right. And it is about uh, the issue of abortion. It's not about health in any sense. I mean, this is yeah. when you get right down to the politics of Would it. Would this have happened if it wasn't an election year? Uh, well, it didn't happen last year, so there's probably your answer. Uh, I think that this is there is a big element of that. Uh, the change was added very late in the process. It didn't go completely through the process. It made it out because of the way the process works, but I think that was a big part of the objection that uh, a lot of the legislators who voted against it had. Uh, but I do think that uh, its restrictive nature and the questionable nature of, its, of whether or not it's constitutional gave a lot of people pause, too. So the answer to your question, Jim, is probably <clears throat> wouldn't have happened if it weren't an election year. Uh, I think that was the prime motivation. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, should Mike Pence keep a campaign promise to sign pro-life legislation? Your choices are A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question, is fantasy sports a game of skill or a game of chance? 19% said skill, 65% said chance, 16% said it shouldn't matter. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org IWIR and look for the poll. Police records involving student athletes at Notre Dame must be made public according to an Indiana appeals court ruling. It's a decision in favor of ESPN, but a new state law may protect Notre Dame in the future. A bill to permit 
private university police departments to withhold some investigative records from the public is now on the governor's desk. Steve Key of the Hoosier State Press Association points out that normal police reports contain a narrative of events surrounding a crime or incident. A Notre Dame report lists only the incident, a possible crime, and the disposition of the case. It's a practice that would continue if the bill is signed into law. Here is Steve Key. What they've done is, uh, with this legislation is they were basically inoculating themselves from the potential adverse outcome of the uh, ESPN versus Notre Dame case. And we think that's important for our institutions to be able to help young adults in many cases form in a way that is appropriate without offering to them the same kind of public scrutiny that I'm sure many of us as college students would not have wanted. So, And that's testimony from Richard Ludwig of the Independent Colleges of Indiana at a state senate hearing last month. Robert Vane, will the governor sign that bill? I don't know. I don't have any idea. And from the stuff that I read about at the articles, there's a compelling case either way. Um, I think that Representative Bauer's heart's in the right place. I do think that some... He was the author of this bill. Some protections need to be put in place. But, you know, as someone who does public relations for a living, you're always trying to get your client to be as forthcoming as absolutely possible. And to the extent that the public can have as much information as needed, then that's usually a good thing. But I do think that Representative Bauer, who's a graduate of Notre Dame, if I recall correctly, heart's in the right place. I think his mind is, too. Well, you talk about public relations and transparency. It appears that this is about public relations. Private colleges don't want people uh, to know that there are problems on campus. Well, it seems like there's a gray area there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, not all of them have, uh, uh, you know, Public universities are, you know, they have police forces and they're public universities. And then there's the uh, private uh, colleges and universities that have security uh, departments and then there's that don't. So uh, there's a, you always want to err on the side of transparency, which is what I think uh, the legislation was intended to do here. But it certainly leaves a gray area with what they're, what they're then subject to. Well, what it says is if there's a crime charged, then the information has to be passed on to the prosecutor and reporters or anybody else can get it there. But if there is no crime, they don't have to explain what took place. Yeah, I think that um, uh, I, I think that the motivations here um, are, are sincere, uh, but I do think that you need to take a closer look at this. Uh, the Governor Pence has in the past um, mm-hmm. ar- uh, argued for press freedoms and, and, and shield law, um, so it wouldn't be surprising to me if he took a look at this and said, uh, that, that, that it's not clear enough, that there needs to be some clarity. Um, erring on the side of transparency, I, I understand what the, uh, Mr. Ludwig said from the independent colleges, uh, but you know, we have problems on campuses with all kinds of crime and, and you know, rape and, and assaults, um, and I don't think the answer is to sweep it under the rug. The answer is to uh, find a way so that you can protect those people who are innocent um, and take care of the crime problem, we need to have the awareness first. I think Mike Pence's circumstance here is interesting because he has uh, presented himself as a, a champion of, of the First Amendment, uh, and he came from the media, and yet this is a bill that, that passed the House unanimously. There's only one vote against it in the state Senate. That makes it tough to veto. You know why? I don't think anybody knew what this bill did, Jim. I try not to take a stand on, on any bill except First Amendment bills and government access bills, on this one, it seems to me pretty clear-cut this was bad legislation, and I don't think that the members knew. It was, it was portrayed as pro-press, anything but, as a matter of fact. 
And this runs counter to virtually every other state, every other court in the country. The uh, Ohio Supreme Court just this past summer uh, decided in the exact same case that if an eight, if a private school has a sworn uh, police department, in other words, if you have the power, give them the power to arrest people and take away their, their rights to, of freedom to enforce the law, that that's a public entity. Which now, is what the Indian, that's what the Indian right. appeals court And if you have well. a security force, right. you know, basically just monitors, well, that's a different issue. So right. this runs against everything else. And, I, and Pat Bauer, in fairness to him, uh, I saw a piece in the South Bend Tribune where he said if this, in fact, is uh, the decision of the appeals court is upheld uh, by the Indiana Supreme Court, and, in fact, it will Notre be Dame, Notre Dame will appeal there, to the Supreme Court. That he has said that he would seek an amendment next session to add police logs back into the bills. And this is the, the author. So I think he even yeah. recognizes that this is very flawed. And the fact that 149 out of 150 voted for it tells me they didn't read the bill. I'm not sure I would hold Mike Pence up as a champion of transparency. This just in. Well, he has clearly been someone who's advocated for the rights of the press through the Shield Law and other things for years. And this isn't about the press. It's about the public knowing. Whoever made the point, John, I think, about we're at a time when there are problems on campuses with assaults and and misconduct Mm -hmm. that troubles a lot of people. And a lot of schools have tried to hide that from being included in FBI, national FBI stats. And anything that allows them to do this is aiding and abetting in a way that I think is disgraceful to the public. You haven't heard the last of this. Moving on. Indiana competes and Freedom Indiana will focus on local human rights ordinances moving forward instead of a state civil rights law. Leaders of the two gay rights advocacy groups say they are disappointed that state lawmakers killed a civil rights bill, but they say progress is being made with some members of the General Assembly. Here's Chris Paulson of Freedom Indiana, followed by Peter Hanscom of Indiana Competes. They are continuing to reach out to us for stories. Um, you know, they, they want to be educated. So that's, that's, in my view, that's a very positive thing, and we will continue working with that. Moving forward, I'd certainly say uh, the momentum is uh, on our side of this issue. Uh, public perception is on our side on this issue. And so as we continue to move forward, we're in a place, uh, we're in a position of strength. John Ketzenberger, are they overselling that? Uh, well, they're in a position because of the way the bill was handled this year to have to to sell it. Um, you know, they are putting the best possible face on this. I I think that the sentiment is trending for them, but I don't think it's a slam dunk at this point. I think it's you know a little more than fifty percent or fifty five percent of the public has been pretty clear about. Uh, their support of additional rights and protections for LGBT people. But um, I think that that because of the way the session played out, the momentum died, essentially, when that bill went away. And at this point, they have to, you know, keep the momentum going and rebuild it so that they can move forward. Yeah, in the last week, Kokomo uh, adopted a local ordinance. Um, uh, And so what legislative leaders will tell you is that more than half the population of the state is covered by local ordinances now, and they don't seem to be in a mood to to deal with this. The Senate took it up first this year. David Long says the House should take it up again if it comes up. Right. Well, keep in mind, though, that the initial compromise uh, on RIFRA, not the subsequent compromise on on RIFRA, would have, in fact... um, superseded uh, these kinds of measures at the local level. It it might have grandfathered in, I think, those that had been enacted prior to December of last year. Uh, And so probably if you're from one of these organizations, it it behooves you to try to pass as many ordinances now as possible. 
not only to, to, to ensure that protection geographically for a broader scope, but also if, in fact, legislation ever came back and said, we're gonna, we, will, we will grandfather in everything that was in place prior to this point, wouldn't it make sense to have as much of the state covered as possible? We wouldn't be having this conversation at all if the governor hadn't embarrassed the state, signed an unnecessary RIFRA law, and now, and if, and if the General Assembly had done what they were supposed to do, and if the governor had come to the table instead of being completely absent here, local governments have said, you've left us no choice. If you're not going to do this, governor, if you're not going to do this, Speaker Bosmo or President Pro Tem Long, we're going to do it. And that's what Kokomo did this week. The governor, his, his leadership has completely failed on this issue and many others. Well, but it, you have to be amused if you watch the General Assembly and look at how on some issues they feel like the state should be the ones uh, who dictate to the locals. And then on issues like this one, they say, well, the locals can handle it. Well, Governor Pence's uh, leadership in the last session led to three regional cities initiatives and no tax increase increases on ordinary Hoosiers, so those are pretty strong leadership traits as far as Indiana competes in that group. I think they're making a virtue out of necessity and, and they're doing what they can do. They, they see the roadblock at the General Assembly, so they're going city by city by city. And quite frankly, as, as someone who's been involved in politics, I, I think that's the only way for them to go. So far, close to 8,000 new voters have registered in Hamilton County this year. It's a 46% increase over registrations in 2012. 20-year-old Bailey Hildebrand is one of the new voters. She registered for the first time uh, the other day while on a visit back home from college in Oklahoma. Sue Hamilton turned in a registration for her granddaughter who goes to college in Kentucky. Voter registration officials, including Beth Scheller, are surprised by the number of young voters who are signing up as well as a, a lot of people that have come in here to register that have said, I'm this, this old, I'm 50 years old, I'm 60 years old, and I've never voted in my life. And we'll register them, and sure enough, never been registered, and that are going to vote. And I'm scared. I'm really scared. Of? The outcome. And that's Sue Hamilton talking about the race for president. Hamilton County's predominantly Republican, John Schwannis, will the people there get a chance to help choose the GOP nominee? Uh, well, they, certainly they'll have a greater uh, impact than they would in most presidential election <laughs> years, uh, which where the impact is zero. Um, and, you know, you can look at all sorts of uh, algorithms about, uh, you know, is it already a, a lock, for instance, for Donald Trump, the nomination, and for... Hillary Clinton, and you can certainly come up with a, a mathematical model that suggests that's the case. But uh, be that as it may, because of the prospect of a brokered convention or an open or contested, whatever right. adjective you want to use, I think Indiana uh, and the the, uh, the battle for delegates in, in this state and others will take on uh, greater importance than it has in other. So yes, yeah. I think uh, Hamilton County voters and others in other 91 counties might have a greater say than they would have otherwise. Well, uh, Hamilton County's interesting because it's predominantly Republican and because 46 percent is a big number. Marion County's having a, a normal year. I yeah. Mean, uh, well, I think that, that what we've seen is that the Donald Trump phenomenon has got people who look at, uh, you know, Republicans as more as a party of conservative thought. Um, they see this as an extreme. And there is your interview with the, the voter, I think, tells what you need to know. She is concerned about that. And so, you know, the answer, and rightly so, is to become part of the process. And that's sure, what she's sure done. she's not concerned about Secretary Clinton winning? 
Well, um, got to you got to wonder about the other one first. Would she have would she have registered Robert if if uh, you don't the Trump that. phenomenon? You don't know that. Um, I think, you think this is about and the fact that they haven't come here. Is this about the Republican primary or is it about something else? Well, I think it could be one about the Republican primary certainly, but you have young people voting. Uh, people are excited about uh, Senator Sanders. They're excited about Secretary Clinton. This primary came here in 2008. We're not sure that it won't come here on the Democratic side as a contested race this year. Uh, I think uh, there's also some panic mode going on in the Republican Party. So I think Sue Hamilton saying she's uh, worried about the outcome, it could very much be about Donald Trump. She and wouldn't say, by the way, she wouldn't say yeah. you don't register but by party. That's right. These folks could be, this, these could be Democrats and Republicans registering. Right. Hamilton County is very populous. What's it tell you? The more people who register to vote in Hamilton County is better for Republicans. So keep registering. So yep. it will help out statewide candidates. It will help everything. Saying. And it will help, you know, help in the next election. In the next election, I mean, all the people who voted, who registered to vote uh, for Barack Obama in Marion County, a lot of them voted for the first time, registered for the first time in 2008. I could tell you from a mayoral campaign perspective in 2011, that was a real concern. It would be yeah. great if our voting laws were a little more... Uh, accommodating well, the voter. The, the silver lining in all this, even you know, when people in both parties are wringing their hands in the establishment about right. how crazy this cycle is and how unpredictable. But I'll tell you what, if it gets more people registering, regardless of party affiliation, and actually exercising their right to vote, that's the big then thing. that's yeah. a great legacy for, a for whatever cause. That, then, you right. know, that's great. Hamilton County, not Lake County. The president nominated Merrick Garland to fill a vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court this week. Senator Dan Coats released a statement saying, in part, the next president, with input from the voters in the upcoming election, should fill the current Supreme Court vacancy. Senator Joe Donnelly, on the other hand, is urging the Senate to debate and vote on the nomination. Indianapolis attorney Bill Groth has argued in front of Garland. I, I kind of regard him as a cross between... Uh, Justice Souter and Mr. Rogers. I mean, he's that non-controversial. Robert Vane. <laughs> Didn't Coates vote for Merrick Garland previously? Oh, I have any idea. Did he? Yes, he did. Yes, he, well, it doesn't matter. They shouldn't vote on it. So, the, but, so this has nothing to do with Merrick Garland. Who cares? <laughs> I stand with That's Joe. I stand with, I stand with Joe Biden, who I stand oh, with on this. Justice Kennedy got confirmed in All the last year presidency. Is, they we need, need to do the Barack to Obama do. to be a senator and filibuster Senate uh, Supreme Court nominations. The hypocrisy yeah. of the D's on this is yeah, incredible. Did, did, did the president right offer offer a moderate yeah. choice here no. in an effort to get the the Republicans in the Senate to take action, uh, suggesting that maybe Hillary Clinton? Uh, could be the next one to offer someone who would be far different? Well, I think the White House certainly had some strategy here, but uh, Justice, or, uh, uh, Judge Garland <laughs> is above reproach. He has uh, had a, a, a great career in, in, on the D.C. Circuit. Two hours, not yet two hours after Justice Scalia died, Mitch McConnell was on the floor saying, we're not even going to consider a nominee. It's atrocious. They are abdicating the responsibility that given to them by the Constitution. They need to do the job they were elected to do, period. Does the public support Dan Coates' position? I think the public, as they come to understand this, will not support that position. It's pretty easy to say, well, gee, Senator Coates, you're in the last year of your term. Why don't, uh, you know, just not do any votes? You know, your votes don't count. And I think that people, this is a concrete example, and this is why I think it's bad politics for the Republicans, it's a concrete example of not doing their job. And I think that's going to play through the rest of the election. And it is purely a political move, and what I think would be interesting is if Hillary Clinton or, let's put, say, Democratic nominee X, Y, or Z, wins the presidency, 
Uh, and in fact, uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, uh, Republicans lose control of that chamber. You can guarantee that during the lame duck session, the what's left of the Republican yeah. majority will be uh, nominating, or I should say, approving uh, the nomination of Judge Garland faster than you can say, and you know, snap your fingers, yeah. for fear that it could be worse. Yep. And what Ted Kennedy did to Robert Bork, that wasn't politics. <laughs> Time now for our General Assembly wrap-up roundtable. Who was the big winner in the 2016 session? John Zodi. John Gregg was the big winner because I think all we saw from Mike Pence was failed leadership time after time after time on roads and education, civil rights, you name it. Robert Vane. Oh, Mike Pence, no tax increases for roads in three regional cities. Amen. Takes the House Democrats. Uh, <laughs> local governments with crumbling roads. They went into this with no prospect of getting funding. Agreed. The, the governor, uh, his initial legislation didn't include funding yeah. for them. They walk away with the, with the bulk yeah, of the money. That's exactly right. But I think that Governor Pence actually did better than expected, and that's a win for him. All right. I said local governments is an easy winner. Who is the big loser? John Gregg. He's in witness protection. Nobody knows where he is. He's not saying anything. you got, you got a tracker following him. Biggest loser? <laughs> How could they find him? Biggest loser? Uh, women and members of the LGBT community. Yeah, I think that's true, too, because uh, when that issue uh, got stalled in the Senate, then the momentum fell out, and as an, they, it's up to them now to build momentum back, and that's tough to do. Uh, Farm-raised deer who live in uh, fenced-in areas uh, now that canned hunting is yeah. legal. I say it was the LGBT community. All right, finally, lawmaker of the year, John. I'm going to say statehouse Democrats in general. Yeah, that includes Glenda Ritz. That includes both caucuses because Republicans listen to them. That's why there are no tax increases in the infrastructure bill. They listen to Glenda Ritz on ISTEP. Robert Vane. There's only six or they can't even reenact the Brady Bunch Lawmaker opening. What are the there, eight of them? Lawmaker of the year, quickly. Oh, I would say the, the, the Republican leadership, both sides. <laughs> I think all four caucus leaders did a commendable job, but I'd say Brian Bosman had a tough uh, act, and he did it well. He did, but I'm going to give it to Senator Long because he had, a, uh, I think, a tougher caucus to deal with. I think Senator Long's a good choice. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat John Zodi, Republican Robert Vane, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.